right, so uh, we're still marching through the uh, the doctrinal statement. Every I think Ashley made sure everyone got one, so thanks for that, and thanks for those uh, who brought it back. That makes it easier, so we don't have to um, print as much stuff. So Julie's uh, Julie's excited about that. Um, does anyone else need one? Just as while we're talking about it. Okay, good. So um, we've we've at this point we have gone through, and, and like we said, as we walk through the doctrinal statement, there's a progression. So we kind of start with the foundational things, God's word. How do we know about God? And then God Himself. Uh, we talked about the Trinity. We talked about the persons of the Trinity: God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Last week. And then last week, we briefly went over mankind. I'm going to go ahead and reread that one um, and then just uh, maybe touch on a couple other things as we get going. I know we did that pretty fast. Um, so if there's anything else that you see in that one, uh, please feel free to, to raise it. This is your chance to ask questions, clarify, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so mankind. We believe that mankind was directly and immediately created by God as his image, according to his likeness in two distinct and fixed genders of male and female, in order to glorify him through their distinct roles and enjoy God's fellowship. Man and woman are co-equal before God in terms of inherent value, dignity, and personal responsibility. Uh, Mankind was created free of sin with a rational nature, intelligence, volition, self-determination, and moral responsibility to God. We believe that in Adam's sin of disobedience to the revealed will and word of God, mankind lost its innocence, incurred the penalty of spiritual and physical death, became subject to the wrath of God, and became inherently corrupt and utterly incapable of choosing or doing what is acceptable to God apart from divine grace. With no recuperative powers to enable him to recover himself, mankind is hopelessly lost. Uh, We talked last week mainly about that phrase needing to add, uh, in our time, two distinct and fixed genders. Um, that's, you wouldn't see that in older confessions because it was obvious. Now it's not so obvious, um, so we needed to add that. But there's other things in here. Uh, one of the key, other key phrases is men and women are co-equal um, before God in terms of inherent value, dignity, and personal responsibility. Where do we get that? Genesis 1, 26 to 28. That's like the foundational text on who humanity is. And what you see is man and woman are both created in the likeness and the image of God, which means that they both have equal dignity, value uh, before God. Uh, We believe as complementarians that they have different roles, uh, and yet we are not, by this statement, trying to uh, exclude someone who would be an egalitarian, saying they're equal in all respects, including role. Uh, We're not trying to exclude those folks by this statement, although we would definitely teach, and you would see this very clearly in the elder statement, uh, we would definitely teach complementarianism, right? So, um, but uh, the key here is who is man? What's he supposed to do? He's supposed to worship God. He's supposed to um, uh, fellowship with God. Um, And then we see the, what what did the fall do, right? That's the key kind of elements of this. So I just wanted to touch back on that one a little bit since we kind of worked through it pretty quickly. Uh, one uh, thing that someone brought up is the idea of family. Uh, well, you're not mentioning family in here. Family is really important to God, right? It's really important to how God acts in the world. And that is absolutely true. Um, one of the things we're trying to do with the statement is be concise and pithy. So uh, I would tuck family in the, under the understanding of roles um, if I was to talk about it. But um, it's not that we're neglecting family. It's not that we think that it's unimportant at all. Uh, it's just that 
it's not necessarily something um, foundational that you see in this statement or in other statements uh, because obviously, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a, we're trying to hit the majors. We're trying to hit the majors in the statement. Family is major. I'm not saying it's not. It's just that it's kind of implied in a lot of this other stuff. So um, any questions uh, on the paragraph? Any comments that you didn't get to make last week or, or questions? Okay, so let's talk about salvation. Um, so again, you see a progression. We've talked about God. Now we've talked about man, but there's also a problem with man. So you kind of see the gospel inherent in all this, don't you? And now we move to salvation. Um, we believe that salvation is from God's just wrath, present and future, to a re reconciled relationship as adopted children in God's eternal kingdom. We believe that those who repent of sin and living for themselves and entrust themselves to the one mediator and savior of mankind, Jesus Christ, and his atoning work will be saved from God's, God, from God's wrath and experience adoption as God's children. We believe that those who repent and entrust themselves to Christ and as such confess him as their sovereign Lord are declared righteous, justified by God. This righteousness is apart from any virtue or work of man and involves the imputation of our sins to Christ in his atoning work and the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us. By this means, God is enabled to be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We believe that those who entrust themselves to Christ are regenerated by the Holy Spirit and become new creatures and are freed from the penalty of sin presently, the power of sin progressively through Christian growth, and the very presence of sin eternally in the future glorified state. There's salvation. In a nutshell, right? There's a, we're trying to pack a lot in there. Uh, what are some things that you note in that statement? What sticks out to you? What's, what's, um, what's important? What you have questions about? Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. I think I think I even have. Let me see here. Oh, I don't see Romans five in here, but Romans five is is a you know one of those key passages. Another key passage I've got highlighted there: Second Corinthians five twenty one. Um, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And what we want to, um, that word imputation, that's a big word, we don't use it in everyday life, but it's the idea of a legal, um, a legal standing, right? Um, uh, Christ's death is uh, accounted in, for our benefit to us, in wiping out the penalty of sin, he bore the eternal weight of God's wrath on the cross. But sometimes we stop at that half of the equation, and we all. But that's not enough because that brings us up to zero in terms of our ledger before God. Right? Uh, we actually need the value, the eternal value of the righteousness of Christ credited to us, which is that idea of um, imputation. So we have double imputation: um, our sins being imputed to Christ in terms, not that he committed those sins, but that they are counted to him in a legal way, and vice versa, that his righteousness, his lived-in-flesh righteousness as a perfect human, 
is credited to us so that we can, uh, that it's not a legal fiction of what God is doing. Um, this is through our union with Christ, um, we have that double imputation, which is a huge part of the gospel and for us to understand it. Yeah. What else? Exactly. Yeah. Right. 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 And this idea, wrath is a, con, a word, a, another word that we don't use that often. So you might have to explain that. Is God just like is angry, you know, like, well, God is angry. He's angry at sin, but his anger is always just and purposeful and under control, right? So God's not in like a, a, an out of control fury. That's not what we're talking about with God's wrath. It is a just penalty. It is under control. It is purposeful. It is um, just in that he is infinitely worthy of our praise and worship. And a sin is not just a naughty thing. It is a slap, is a personal slap in the face of the God of the universe, which deserves this infinite punishment of his anger towards sin unleashed for all eternity. Um, so that you might have to explain that in the gospel a little bit. Mike. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's John's language, and I uh, have John 3, 3 through 7 listed in the list there. Um, in a similar language, you could see it in John 1. Uh, turn to John 1. Someone read John 1, 12 through 13. Again, we can't hit all of these passages, but we can hit a, a couple highlights. John 1, 12 through 13. Someone go ahead and read that. John, John 1, 12 through 13? <laughs> yeah, John 1, 12 through 13. It's not a natural birth, it's an adoption, but how does it come about? By those who receive him, who believe in his name, right? So you've got faith and adoption going on there. John 3, with Nicodemus, you've got the new birth by the Spirit um, happening. Um, someone turn to Romans 10. Let's do another one of these. Uh, Romans 10. Um, wait far ahead. Romans 10, 9 through 10. You guys know these verses. Yep. So that idea that belief is not just mental assent, 
It's entrusting oneself, and it's also a commitment to Christ's lordship, which was a big controversy in the late 80s, early 80s. Well, I mean, still probably going on in circle, but the free grace versus lordship salvation controversy, and it was over this issue, right? But the scriptures are clear. Like, uh, confessing Jesus as Lord, I mean, you're going to obey him, right? We've been seeing that in Matthew. Uh, it's not just about um, mental assent. It's about following. Um, so... That's just one of those key passages that illustrates that. Uh, nothing of what people do. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that's in this list. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, uh, um, prepared for, um, for good works, which he prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Right. So we're not saved by works, but we are saved to works and to good works. So we ought to be doing good works because God transforms us. He transforms our nature, that idea of a new creation, to be living that sort of a way. Okay. Other, oh yeah, Rachel. There's a lot going on there, yeah. The idea is, is by, right, um, it's just a way of saying that um, because of the double imputation that we were talking about earlier, um, he, like, if you think about it, there's a tension in, in the justice of God, right? That's what Paul gets at in Romans 3, is how can God be just and justify the ungodly, right? Like, that's a problem. And it's a problem for God. Not that there's like real problems for God, but you understand like based on God's nature, like how can God desire to justify the ungodly and um, be just? And so when we use that word enabled, we're saying, well, and God knew this all along from all eternity past, so it's not really a problem, but it's that means by which God is able to do this. Because um, we talk about God's ability, his, his character and his attributes aren't opposed to one another. He's, he's just, and he desires to save all at the same time. But there's a sense in which if justice is truly satisfied, how, how do you release someone who's actually guilty? So the means by which that happens is double, double imputation. So that's what we're trying to say. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. God's the one that imputed this, our sin to Christ and Christ's righteousness to us. So it's by his own work that he's accomplished this. God enabled himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
Mike. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's a huge question, but it's a good one to bring up. So first, on the issue of faith, because when you talk to someone today, let's say I just tell someone, have faith. What are they going to think about, right? They're probably going to think of like faith as like, oh, I need more faith. I need to squeeze some more toothpaste out of the toothpaste tube. That's kind of like the toothpaste tube version of faith, right? But that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is not something that's inherent in me. It is something about, it's all about the object, right? What is my faith terminating on? Uh, in, in other words, it's not about, and this is why we always say it's not mental ascent, like, I'm just believing facts, and that's what a lot of people would just think if they heard the word faith. It's about, no, you're having a transaction with a person. You're, and this is why I like using the word entrusting yourself. So you see that word in there, entrust, belief. Faith is in there, right? But what we mean by faith is you did nothing. Uh, Christ did everything. He's real. He's living. He's live today. And so if you want to... Um, you want salvation, well, you have to entrust yourself with him. You have to have a, a transaction with the living Christ. Um, so we're trying to use language that's maybe not just saying faith, but we're trying to use other language that gets at the root idea of what biblical faith is all about. Yeah. Well, they're trusting the person, right? Like as a as a parent, like you don't understand all of what dad does in all of his capacities, right? Because you haven't reached that point yet, but you trust the person. You're entrusting yourself to the person. Yeah. Um, and then your second question was, do all have the capacity for faith? Now, there's two ways you could answer that question. Uh, do all people have the ability to entrust themselves to something? Does, do they have that in capacity as part of human nature? Yes, uh, but in their fallen human nature, we would teach, so this is where we're kind of switching gears to the elder statement in a, in a sense, we would teach that they have no capacity, no ability to believe, right? And so this is where we would teach the doctrines of sovereign grace uh, as a church, um, we believe that, we are committed to that, and yet what we're trying to do with this statement is also use language so that if an Arminian brother or sister who says, well, yeah, you can believe, that's your capacity, like, I'm going to dispute with them at a certain level about that, but they can still entrust themselves to Jesus, whether we dispute, of, you know, about predestination or those sorts of things. So we're, 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 um, we're trying to keep this this band in this doctrinal statement wide enough 
to where I can fellowship with an Armenian brother or sister who, um, they still have to have faith, right? But how they would articulate that, how does it interact with everything, uh, where that, we might differ on that, whereas as elders, we're going to teach the doctrines of grace. Uh, we're going to teach total depravity, unconditional election, um, limited atonement, um, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints, right? But we're not trying to necessarily ar articulate those in this statement. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, anything else with regard to salvation? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, one other thing that's, I think, important, when we talk about salvation, um, normally we're talking about the act of justification, which is true. That's the foundation of it. Well, um, really, it's God's foundation in eternity past. That's the foundation of it. But regardless, when we normally talk about faith with regard to um, a person, we're, or, or salvation with regard to the person, we're talking about that act of justification, but it's important to recognize, and this is why we put it in the end, is that salvation is, a, is not done until glory, right? There's a sense in which we are saved, but we are being saved, and we will be saved, right? There's, so we're trying to describe that reality uh, we're freed from the penalty of sin presently. That's justification in our justified state right now. Uh, the power of sin progressively through Christian growth. So as we grow, that's actually a part of us being saved. Uh, not that that contributes anything. That's just part of what God has done and its results. And the very presence of sin eternally in the future glorified state. When sin is eradicated, it's no longer part of us. We don't have our wicked desires and that sort of thing. And that's important to recognize um, because sometimes you can just get so focused on, yes, we are justified now, amen and amen, and that is so foundational, but salvation is a package deal um, that expands through time. So, yeah. Okay, uh, anything else on the paragraph salvation? Going once. Yes, David. Assurance. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So there's those aspects of assurance. Now, here's the weird part, is like every Christian, and this was actually part of the core of the Reformation, every Christian 
should be able to enjoy assurance because it's not ultimately about you, it's about Christ. So that's the ground of assurance. Um, and yet there are people who are saved that don't have assurance, which is weird, but it happens, right? Um, and it's true, and it, but that's why books like First John were written, right? Uh, it's written to give assurance. Yes, uh, you can kind of, there's tests in a sense, but it's written to give assurance that you may know that you, that you know Christ. So. Yes, faith. What do you have faith in? You have faith in faith. Yes. That's why I use the, um, there was a great, uh, it was by Abner Chow, who's now the president of Master's University and Seminary, but he had this lecture once where he was talking about Hebrews 11 and faith, and he's like, yeah, we normally think of faith like the toothpaste tube, which is faith and faith, right? If I just squeeze enough, if I just believe enough, you know, but that's not faith. Faith is always, um, you're looking, well, you're looking to the person, and that's, uh, you're not looking to, yes, there are facts you need to believe about Christ, but you're looking to the person, the living person. This is why the resurrection matters, uh, the person of Christ. So, yeah, being able to articulate biblical faith is important. David. Uh-huh. Yeah, and there's what you see is, you know, in, in transitioning to the church is that, um, like Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5, there's a role for the church to evaluate other believers. That's part of what it means to be in the church is we're, we're seeing each other's walk. We're knowing each other's walk. And the question is, hey, by what you're doing, that doesn't display the love of God. That doesn't display that you actually know Christ. So there's an evaluation aspect of it. So that's kind of what we mean by credible, um, is that, boy, you say you know Christ, but you're living not like you know Christ. And so your faith uh, is incredible. It has no credence to it. Um, because you can say all you want. You can, you can know all the right language and everything all you want, but uh, if your living doesn't show that you love Christ, that's a problem. So, Eden, did you have your hand up? Oh, okay, go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, it's a, it's, there are some people, and even, I think, just people I've talked to in this church, right, where they love Christ, they believe the gospel, and yet they are, have a sensitive conscience, um, and they know their own sinfulness. Like, when we know our own sinfulness, like, and, and you get so fixated on your own sinfulness, 
that you start, like, am I really saved? Did I, did I say the right words? Am I believing enough? You know, like, it's, it's a real pastoral, and I mean, it's, it's a real reality. It's a reality in, in the church um, as Christians. And sometimes we go through seasons of that where there's a real low um, and where from God's perspective and, uh, you know, that person's saved, they believe in Jesus because it's about your union with Christ. It's not like your salvation comes and goes. You, you are connected. You are welded together with Christ. And yet with the experience of that um, can w- wax and wane. Um, and um, so there's a reality in which someone can entrust to Christ. They've been united with Christ by faith. That's happened, and yet they're just struggling with that, that assurance, which uh, this is part of the gift of the church because you're not designed to just self-justify your own faith, right? Um, you're, desi- you're designed to live in community with your local church to be able to say, okay, yeah, I see you, brother, struggling, but remember who Christ is. That's the ground of your assurance, and also, here are the fruits that I see in your life as an external observer that help, that help me to affirm you in your faith. And that's part of God's gift of how someone is assured. Um, not all of it, but it is a huge part of it um, with, in living in the life of the church. So I've talked to people where it's like, well, uh, well even this last week, <laughs> this last weekend I was talking to someone and they're like, well, I, I have these wrong thoughts and these feelings. You know, does that something mean something is really wrong with me? It's like, wait a minute. Remember your identity in Christ. Remember who you are and remember what Christ has done. And then, you, you know, so there, there's that dynamic playing out. So. One of the things we're trying to do, right, is with, when I talk to people like um, that lack of assurance, and even as I know from my own experience, lack of assurance at different points in my life, what we want people to stop doing is saying, stop looking at yourself. Get your eyes off yourself and onto Christ, right? I have to preach myself to that because I get in this spiral of, like, looking at yourself, and it's like, well, you're always going to find something to that question yourself about, right? But that's not where faith terminates. It doesn't terminate on you. It terminates on Christ, and he's lovely, he's beautiful, he's sufficient, 
And so get your eyes off yourself. Stop being so self-focused. Uh, because faith doesn't focus on yourself. It focuses on Christ. So, Yes. Yeah, it's real. The battle's real. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Right. Yes. Yeah. We have leaky bucket brains and we need each other to keep reminding us. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. But you wait through this whole dialogue, and at the end of the day, the whole thing is the humans have zero perception or perspective. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. they're mired in their perception. And God comes along and says, hey, I'm so far removed from that. I was there at the beginning. This is my, yeah. my ground rules. And so what we're using is the term looking to Christ. That's essentially yeah. what Job is basically saying. Yeah. There was a, someone said that, I think it was Abner Chow, he said, like, he was talking about Job, and he's like, if you gave Job the book of Romans, he would hug you. Yeah, yeah right, because of how much it reveals and how much it answers my, his desire for a resurrection, a mediator, um, et cetera. Mike, you had your hand, and then I think we're going to move on to the next paragraph. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. the stumbling block to the Greeks that, um, that uh, Tony was talking about earlier. Ready to move on to the church? All right. The church. We believe in the universal church. Uh, and just so you know, I, I try to be consistent. Uh, when I'm talking about the universal church, I use a capital C. And when I'm talking about a local church, I try to use a lowercase c. That's just how I do it. But just so you guys know. Um, we, we believe in the universal church, a living spiritual body of which Christ is the head and all regenerated persons are members. 
We believe in the local church, consisting of a company of believers in Jesus Christ, baptized by immersion on credible, on a credible profession of faith, and associated for worship, work, and fellowship. We believe that Christ calls his disciples to publicly identify with and join a sound local church for spiritual growth, accountability, and participation in the joyful responsibility of manifesting God's presence in the world. We believe the physical weekly gathering of all members of the local church is commanded by Christ and essential for the life and health of the local church and its members. This gathering is for the purpose of submitting to God's word read, explained, and preached, for singing praises to him, for participating in the Lord's Supper, and for partnering with one another in service and fellowship. We believe that God has laid upon the members of the local church the primary task of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost world. Um, so there's lots of verses there. Um, there's lots that we could talk about there. Uh, things that stick out to you. Yep. I like that phrase because it's articulating that when we come, what we do in in and around the church is joyful. It is, it is for me. It is Christ's gift to me to associate with the body. It is joyful. It is part of my joy as a Christian. It's also a responsibility that it's not just about me when I come to church. In fact, it's actually a lot not about me. It's about God, and it's about my brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's that both and of a joyful responsibility. Yes, we're coming to church for our own benefit, but so much more. It's a responsibility in serving and caring, um, and, and, and together being that beacon and that embassy to, to a lost and dying world, being visible as part of our mission uh, together, being distinct, visible, definable. So, okay, uh, what else? Yeah, David. Yep. Well, and what you would say is, um, like, that's where, this isn't a, in a sense, this isn't a standalone document, right? Uh, it's part of how it meshes with all of our other practices of a church. So, credible profession of faith is really getting at some of what we mean by membership, right? Where... Uh, what is membership? It's not just signing on the dotted line. Uh, it's not just going through the process, but part of that process is being able to, hey, articulate the gospel for me. Um, tell me your understanding of the gospel. And then observing and knowing that person not only in an initial way, which you can only do so much, but also as they walk life together in the church, observing and saying, okay, um, we're helping each other to grow and follow Jesus. Is your confession of faith credible? Is it, is it believable based on what we see in the New Testament? Um, and that's, um, so it's just as kind of a summary word to try to encapsulate some of those ideas. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Well, so part of that, I mean, I would, I mean, you look at the New Testament, I think, I know you're like the early church. Yeah, they would wait three years. They would catechize. They would do all this stuff before baptizing, and then they would admit you to the Lord's table. That was how they did it. And I think they were wrong to wait that long. But the spirit of why they were waiting that long is, look, you just walk in and you say, yep, I'm a Christian, um, you know, and well, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, just, and God knows, right? We know that. God ultimately knows because that very first line is, uh, if you believed and trusted in Christ, you're in the universal church and you're going to be there at that end of time and you're going to be in at the messianic banquet on the new heavens and the new earth. It's going to happen, right? But what's this, this reality that um, God didn't just save individuals, he saved the people and he gave the people, uh, the church, the responsibility, you see this in Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, of examining and judging in the sense of examining and deciding whether that person has a credible profession of faith because part of what we just said is part of our mission as a church is to be a visible, distinct, definable people, right? Well, to be part of that mission, you had better be walking in the way that Jesus says you ought to be walking. How does a person know? Like, I could just say, well, yeah, I'm walking that way. But we're really bad at judging ourselves, right? So this is part of the gift of the church to help you and say, friend, uh, let me get to know you a little bit and hear how, how did God save you? Uh, what has your life been like? How has he changed your life? Um, and then to not make a protracted long time out of it, but but sometimes stuff pops up, like in our membership interviews, like, ooh, we need to talk about that a little bit more. And then it's for the person's good, because it's like, oh, I didn't understand that. And now we can, we're helping them understand what their faith is. We're helping them to see, yeah, you have a credible profession of faith, and come join us in our mission of that visible display. So, yeah, Gary. Right. I mean, like you think about, let's just, let's just pr pretend for a second, and this would be awesome. Let's suppose someone gets converted this Sunday, right? Someone gets converted this Sunday. They come in, they're a visitor, we don't know them at all, okay? They come in, and they get converted, right? Wow, uh, I trust Jesus, right? And then they come, and they t start talking to people, a couple of people disciple them, and we would say very quickly, okay, yes, you're, you're entrusting yourself to Christ, Here's what that means. Let's talk to you about what that means. Because they don't know anything, hardly, right? They know about Jesus, and they know about the gospel, but they don't know hardly anything. Let's start discipling them and teaching them. Okay, if, if you're going to walk as a Christian, it means this is what your, um, your life is going to look like. This is what, it, this is what you're, you have to, re you're renouncing these things, and you're following Christ, and you're doing these things. You're pursuing these things. Not perfectly, it's a growth process, but that's what it's going to look like. Uh, and then uh, you need to go public with your profession of faith because Jesus commanded us as the church to baptize, and that's his way of uh, identifying with, in a visible way, that person and with the church identifying with that person. Um, so we would do that fairly quickly, but we would want to discern because even someone, I mean, we're going to start talking about the parables, right? Someone who has a lot of joy initially and is like, yeah, I'm all in it for Jesus, right? And yet the rocky soil, right, didn't have any depth. And so it's kind of that reality of, like, discerning as much as you can. 
And there's a reality in which there's only all that we can see. God alone sees the heart. We just have to go by the standards and the, the principles and the criteria that Jesus has given. Um, but, the, um, but yeah, someone got converted like this Sunday. You would hope within like four weeks, like, yeah, let's get you baptized, <laughs> right? Why do we have to? Now, the new church did it right away, right? They did it the same day. Why is that? Well, because we live in a different culture. In that culture, those people knew what they were signing up with, and they knew by t- taking the plunge, literally, um, that, that okay, I'm, I'm identifying with Jesus and with Jesus' people, and that's going to mean ostracism from the Jewish nation. By and large, it's going to mean ostracism from the world. It can mean persecution. So they knew what they were signing up for. In fact, even today, like, say, in Muslim countries or in uh, China, like, you, can you attest to this, Callie? Yeah, um, so it's, like, they won't bother you until you get baptized, right? Um, and uh, that kind of a reality. Whereas in our culture in America, it's been a, let's call it a, a positive or a neutral thing. So then it takes a lot more discernment, right? Because someone just says, oh, I want to be baptized. It's like, well, why? Do you want to do it because of your parents? Do you want to, you know, and so that's, again, part of that credible profession that we're trying to discern as a church, so... It's a, it's a wisdom call. It's ultimately a wisdom call. There's always, there's always going to be some time, right, uh, whether that's a matter of, like, were the people on Pentecost who believed, uh, were they saved before they got baptized? Absolutely, right? But, uh, and there was a matter of, like, what, an hour or two hours? Who knows, right, what that time frame was versus, like, we're talking orders of weeks, and why are we talking about that? We don't want to lengthen that time, uh, but we do want to, because part of our mission as a church is to be visible, and we want people who are walking in the way that Jesus wanted, because otherwise it brings shame on Jesus' name, we're, we're taking that time as the church to evaluate and to see a credible profession of faith. So, yeah. Yeah, but it shouldn't be a long, drawn-out process. Like, I think three years is crazy. But they did that in the first few centuries of the church, yeah. Absolutely. Well, and that's, well, that's why Paul uses that metaphor in 1 Corinthians 12. People like to say, well, there's no, membership's not in the Bible. Well, yeah, it is. 1 Corinthians 12 says that member, it uses the word member, but in the sense, and this is the sense in which we mean it, the member of a body, right? Uh, we're not talking about signing a contract. We're talking about you're a limb and we need you, <laughs> Right? And Paul says in there, a member of the body can't just say, I don't need the body, I don't need to be a part of them. He says, you can't do that. Um, you shouldn't do that. Uh, it's like an amputated arm, like dancing over the floor over there somewhere. That's not right. It's weird. It's gross. Um, uh, because the body and the members of the body need each other, right? And we, need, we care for one another um, as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, good.
Um, okay, uh, let's pick, we'll, we'll continue to talk about the church uh, next week. There, I want to go to some of the verses, but we're out of time. And that's okay. Uh, this is good. This is good discussion, good learning. Uh, yeah, David, one last thing before we close. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, make your calling and election sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so if you've never ever, as a person, because sometimes there's like two ends of the spectrum, like when you're talking about assurance. One end of the spectrum is I pray, prayed a prayer, I signed a card, I'm good. Don't need to think about it again. That's wrong, and you're not applying 2 Corinthians 13.5 of examine yourself. There should be a healthy, regular examination of yourself. Am I in the faith? Because that's what Paul is telling the Corinthians to do. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got people that become so introspective and so, like, they're examining themselves like, ad nauseum, um, right, and it becomes unhealthy for them because it paralyzes them from actually living, um, and they're looking at themselves rather than at Christ. So there's kind of those two ends of the spectrum where it's like, if you've never examined yourself, that's a problem and a warning sign. Uh, if you're examining yourself all the time, like, you become introspective and unhealthy, um, that's the other end of the spectrum. Where you want to be in the middle of, we should all be able to today look at our life and say, am I in the faith? Am I in the faith? Do I trust Christ? Do I recognize that I'm a sinner? Uh, am I bearing fruit? Can I ask others, can, and can they tell me, yeah, you're bearing fruit? Um, that's a healthy, and it should be a regular practice, right? You should have people in your life that you ask and say, hey, I just want you to, uh, to know, like, do you see me growing? Do you see me changing? Do you see areas where I need to grow, right? Um, and that's always humbling, because it's like, yeah, yeah, you need to grow there, right? Um, uh, but that's helpful because we want to grow to follow Jesus. So, yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the church. Uh, we thank you for giving it to us uh, as a joyful responsibility. And Lord, we long for that even now as we come to the gathering, the gathering that you have commanded, the gathering uh, where we uh, hear the word preached, where we sing the word, uh, where we visualize the word through the ordinances. <laughs> We thank you even for this morning as we get to partake in the Lord's Supper um, that we would do so rightly uh, and in the way that would honor and please you. Lord, help us to love one another, um, to care for one another, to serve one another, uh, to be the members you've called us to be of the body of Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for this time. In your name, amen.